We interrupt this broadcast with some important news. Let's rewind and check out the biggest news stories from this week. It's time, it's time for Taiwan This Week. Good evening and welcome to Taiwan This Week with me, your host, Gavin Phipps. I'm joined in the studio this evening by Brian Hugh. Thanks for having me. And Jenna Cody of the popular Taiwan blog and news commentary website, Lauren Cha. Hi there. Tonight we'll be discussing charges being filed over the spreading of fake news as part of a probe into the suicide of an Osaka-based diplomat, concern over new Thai visa rules, food delivery companies being put on notice that they have to pay insurance to their couriers, Prague's mayor touting plans to sign its sister city agreement with Taipei and a rainbow forecasting system. But we'll begin where we usually begin or have been beginning for nearly too long now, that being the latest election news from this week. And this week kicked off with KMT presidential candidate Han Guo-yu accusing the DPP of using big data a la Cambridge Analytica to influence voter sentiment. Han claimed the DPP's use of said big data has resulted in him being considered to be little but a country bumpkin. Yes, he said worse things about himself than that, but we won't go there. And he also said that the big data is being used to discredit him with a vicious and immoral campaign strategy. Of course, Han's comments come as recent polls have been putting his campaign some 30 percentage points behind that of President Tsai Ing-wen. Now Han is also urging his supporters to either hang up on polling companies who call looking to carry out voter surveys or simply lie to them when they're, well, doing the surveys. And he claims that such a move will make any polls null and void and stymie his critics. Now the D PP and President Tsai Ing-wen have shot back at Han's claims by simply saying that the Kaohsiung mayor's poor performance in the polls should provoke self-reflection and not finger-pointing. Meanwhile, the Central Election Commission announced the dates for the four televised presidential and vice-presidential policy presentations on Wednesday of this week. Now, the presidential candidates would have three presentations, while the vice-presidential candidates would have one televised policy presentation. Now, the first presidential presentation will be broadcast by Chinese television system on December the 18th. The second will be aired on China television on December the 25th and the third on Taiwan television on December the 27th while the vice presidential presentation will be aired on public television service on December the 20th. Now each pair of candidates will be given 30 minutes to introduce their policy platforms and the presentations will be hosted as is always the case by election commission officials. So Brian Hangwoyu, big data alert Cambridge Analytica, is the DPP up to no good? It's quite funny here because when it comes to big data, I think that most political parties nowadays use it to actually uh, strategize their election planning. And this includes the KMT. So I think in this in this case, it's Han uh, once again leveraging on a populist image, trying to convince his voters that the DPP, they're all using these sophisticated uh, technical, technological means to trick voters. And in this way, he can actually cast doubt onto the polling, which shows that he is very far behind Tsai Ing-wen. That fits with his, his uh, general political, uh, uh, the way he tries to project himself politically. And this is a good way to actually uh, make it unknown what the results will be up until elections. To uh, and in the meantime, we can try to close the gap. Uh. Okay, I um I know that comparing uh, Hangulu to Trump is cl- kind of a cliche, but I think it sort of fits here in part because I'm reasonably sure he and the KMT are studying Republican and Trumpian tactics to sort of upset the way elections are typically done, and that that seems like I mean if you remember back when we had the U.S. presidential debates and. Hillary Clinton called Trump a puppet, and Trump said, no puppet, you're the puppet. I feel like that's basically what Han Guoyu is doing here. So he's trying to... He's the one who's sort of working with 
I mean, I think it's fairly clear now that he's the one who's working with China, other dark forces, things that he's been accused of in order to swing the election in so you know, quote-unquote, immoral ways. And so to then throw that on the DPP makes it a sort of, like, I'm rubber, you're glue situation. So, yeah, I mean, as, as Brian noted, and I would completely agree, every political campaign uses big data at this point to try to attract voters. But it's sort of silly to say that the DPP are the ones who are up to no good. And by hearing him say that, we can almost see who's really up to no good. Um... When it comes to whether the polls will be valid, I mean, of course not, but I think we can learn a few things from, you know, from them going forward. The first is we can now tell that Han doesn't really seem to care what people actually think because he's not interested in poll results. Secondly, that he's running scared, right? He knows that he's losing, he knows that he's behind, so he's grabbing any kind of strategy he can to sort of light the whole system on fire. Um, we'll also be able to tell by future poll results to what extent his supporters are actually listening to him. Now, the news I saw last night was that there has actually been a fairly substantial increase in the widening of polls saying Tsai Ing-wen is favored to, uh, to win and Hang Yu has less support. And a larger number of people who are saying that, um, or who are refusing to respond, that that got, that number is also increasing. So we can see that there's at least some effect coming out. But overall, I basically think it's just him being him and trying to light the system on fire because he doesn't like the way it works. Um, I actually don't know if I'm particularly looking at the U.S., but I think that what he is hoping to do is to mobilize his base. I don't know necessarily that he's grabbing at straws, but this is uh, the change in tactic. For example, you have seen the last year with Han Guoyu. In the past, actually, Han was the one that was seen as internet savvy, as having these kind of fancy music videos and young people supporting him. And at that point in time, Han was actually accused of uh, benefiting from uh, Chinese election interference. And so, again, this mm. is true, actually, that he's trying to turn the accusation against uh, the DPP by claiming it's the DPP doing this, that they're the ones that are falsifying results and, and using... Uh, uh, social media and so forth to attack him, but now he uh, in the in the past year he switched. Notably, he focused less on appealing to, for example, young people and more to traditional KMT party uh, the party base. And so these are older people. Uh, they're suspicious of social media. They might use Line and not Facebook. Uh, they see young people using Facebook and they view it with deep suspicion. And so I think this is a way to actually galvanize his base. I think he's actually trying to depend on a certain group of people he knows will definitely support him and to really rile them up and, and mobilize them as a force. But then again, it's a question, will that be successful in turning around his political fortunes when it's pretty clear at this point that he is actually lagging far behind and that he uh, is not actually attri- attracting swing voters, for example? Mm. Uh, yeah, I'd agree with that. I would, um, I would characterize it in a slightly different way. We can say, if we want to be positive about it, we can say he's trying to mobilize his base. I would say he no longer cares about attracting new supporters because he knows he's not going to. <laughs> um, he is already aware that he's lost the youth, and I think that's for a few reasons. One is that he, ever since running for president, a few people have commented, not just me, like many people, that... Um, he has sort of moved over to this very social conservative viewpoint. His wife has made these really like pearl clutching mom, like it makes mothers cry. Like 
that kind of rhetoric, which is not going to capture the youth. But secondly, that Tsai Ing-wen has sort of realized since she was challenged by Lai Ching-de that she was slipping in the polls and maybe not necessarily going to win re-election and she mobilized her people to really go after the youth vote. So Han has realized he's not going to pick up youth supporters and he's realized he's not going to increase his base so he's just trying to rile them up. Uh, so the point to which we hear his base sort of screaming and shouting angrily may not necessarily be an indication that you know just because they're loud, it doesn't mean there are a lot of them. <laughs> um, yeah, it's a question, because young yeah. people are actually, at the end of the day, outnumbered by older voters in Taiwan. And they so are. actually, the question is, does it matter then? I think then mm. uh, Han uh, is actually, sometimes he does make moves that seem appeal, aimed at appealing to young people. For example, coming out in favor of gay marriage at this mm. very late stage in the game. That's kind of an unusual shift when the KMT was so strongly opposed to gay marriage. Um, but then I think that maybe he's just counting on the fact that maybe he believes that he has more supporters and that they just outnumber young people and that uh, this is the strategy he will engage in going forward. I mean, it's interesting, too, the effect of the overall party um, on Han's campaign, just the fact that the KMT itself is, is suffering because of the party list being so pro-China after that was released. And so um, how, how, what strategies will he adopt to close the gap? Mm. I mean, throwing around scandals is one way. It is one way. the DPP of different, uh, you know, uh, un, unsound ways to kind of undermine him. Yeah. Um, I actually, the, the marriage equality thing I think is interesting because I do not actually think he's in favor of marriage equality. Um, if you, and actually plenty of people on Facebook, plenty of commentators have pointed out, he didn't come out and say, I'm in favor of gay marriage. He said, I think people should find a partner, have, be, be able to find a partner and find love and get respect. He never used the word marriage or any kind of legal union. And when you compare that very wishy-washy statement um, against the sorts of things his wife has said, and even election posters being put up by other KMT candidates with his name on it, which may or may not be authorized, I don't know, saying, like, we don't support the DPP's same-sex marriage. Um, I feel like he was put on the spot and he made a very wishy-washy statement that then the news interpreted as, oh, he's pro-marriage equality. I'm not so sure of that. Uh, in terms of old Older voters outnumbering younger, vo younger voters, that's absolutely true. And I think the Tsai campaign is certainly aware of that and trying to really get the youth vote out sort of remains to be seen if they're going to be successful at that. Um, anecdotally, there's no I don't have any data to support this, but I have noticed personally an uptick in younger people who say they're definitely going to vote and who seem more engaged because they look at Han and they they see a threat akin to a Trump or a Duterte or a Bolsonaro, and hopefully that will drive them out in, in greater numbers. Will that, you know, the fact that she already seems to be winning, she's an incumbent, she's already won, she's taking steps to ameliorate or remedy the mistakes she's made in the past year or so that have lost her support, I think all of that looks quite positive, so... Yeah. Right. And quickly, Brian, these the um, the election presentations. Do you see any groundbreaking statements by any of the three candidates, Tsai Ing-wen, Hang Guo Yu, or James Sung, or do you think they'll be pretty drab affairs? 
So I think Tsai will probably play it safe because of the fact is that she is comfortably in the lead, and so she will actually try to avoid saying anything particularly new that she could be attacked on. Uh, Han or Song, it's a different question altogether. I think Han will try to claim uh, again the Tsai administration is trying to undermine him using uh, different ways uh, that the uh, Tsai administration is trying to destroy the ROC and so forth. Um, and he might try to bring out scandals, very very new information, or that he maybe is holding on to until closer to elections. I think that's possible. Um, as for Song, I think it's a good question. I mean, we all know that he won't win, um, and what position he will take. He might actually attack the KMT. He might actually act in a way to benefit Tsai, actually. Because, of course, because he, he, yeah. came, he came out this week and he, he basically said rude things about Hang Guo Yu, that's being right. basically inept <laughs> and incompetent. Yes, that's right. And so I think that uh, it's actually it's quite probable he will do this. Um, and that could actually not work in Han's favor. But I think for Han, he will probably try to just ignore Song because the fact is Song is uh, not actually so influential in the Pan, Green, uh, Pan Blue camp uh, base that Han is appealing to. Yeah, I mean, I would also agree with that. I think that um, I th- recent results have shown that uh, Sung takes more votes from Tsai than he does from Han. And so I think Han will try to sort of ignore him. I suspect Tsai will as well. Their campaign seems to be more and more focused on taking the high road. Now, what's interesting to me is just reading through the news, I haven't seen Tsai come out with a lot of actual policy proposals and platforms. Very much playing it safe next four years, let's keep it up, let's oppose China, that sort of thing. With Han coming out with these sort of half-baked ideas, some of which are DPP ripoffs, some of which are improbable. Um, when I say DPP ripoffs, I mean his whole bilingual education thing. That's just a rebranding of what the DPP is already trying to do. Um, and as Brian said, and I would agree, that whole let's save the ROC, that's been sort of a cornerstone of his campaign. I find it interesting, and I sort of want to bring this up later, that the KMT has a tendency to refer to the ROC when they're trying to rile up their older patriotic, like, Fang Gong, defeat the communists base, but Taiwan, when they're trying to appeal to popular sentiment. And I think that is a thread running through a lot of things that are happening these days. As for Sung, I have no idea what he's going to say. <laughs> ah, we'll have to watch it and find out, won't mm. we? If we have insomnia. <laughs> we won't be watching it otherwise, will we? No. Anyway, moving on. And KMT Taipei City Councillors this Wednesday urged the island's top envoy to Japan to step down. And that call came after one of Frank Scher's 2008 presidential election campaign staffers was indicted earlier in the week on charges of paying an internet troll to insult Taiwan's representative office in Osaka. Now, Young Hui Ru, who goes by the moniker Slow Young, or name Slow Young, whichever it is, slow, fast, should have been fast, really wouldn't have got caught. Anyway, She's been charged with insulting a public office for spreading fake news about Su Chi Chung, the former head of the Osaka representative office, which ultimately led to his suicide. Now, prosecutors say Young spread fake news concerning Su's alleged failure to handle the evacuation of Taiwanese nationals from Hokkaido when the area was battered by Typhoon Jebby. Now, the city councillors say Young has been closely associated with Cher for many years, and Cher should resign from his post pending the outcome of the investigation. Cher, though, is denying any wrongdoing and says he didn't instruct Young to either spread or pay anyone else to spread any type of fake news. However, the story has since ballooned and there are now claims, Brian, that Young was also paid by some other people to stir up interweb trouble and those other people all work for the DPP apparently. 
And so this is one of the questions, actually, about uh, fake news and disinformation efforts in the current election campaign. And historically, it has been the KMT that has been accused of this, uh, benefiting from, for example, Chinese election interference that is aimed at making its candidates appear much more popular and unearthing various scandals about DPP politicians. But this is a case in which the KMT is now hitting back at the DPP, claiming that the DPP did this. And it's interesting the way that did this is actually to claim that one of the most famous cases in which uh, fake news had a real-world effect leading to the death of the suicide of his diplomat, Sui Qi Cheng, um, was actually caused by the DPP, by DPP politicians hoping to distance themselves from the scandal and kind of uh, bury this. Uh, from uh, The claim is that Frank Xie was throwing his subordinate under the bus in order to avoid being tainted by the scandal. And they claim that the people are affiliated in this are, are all factionally tied to uh, the DPP. And Cohen has actually also jumped on board with this. It's actually the Taipei District Prosecutor's Office that is filing this case. And uh, Ke has stated that uh, all major political parties engage in this kind of internet trolling and that they have internet armies and so forth. I mean, this is true, actually. It is true that major parties today in Taiwan all do this. But um, then it's, and it's a question, actually, about what is the truth of this case. But it's, it's, again, the KMT trying to reverse the accusations made against it, usually, and pin this on the DPP this time. Yeah, I would completely agree with that. Um, when I look at people spreading fake news or mobilizing internet armies, certainly both parties do it, but it seems to be either the KMT who does it more or the KMT who's more inept at it. Um, what, what sort of strikes me about this case is that the original accusations were not true. So the original accusation was that after this typhoon that the... Taiwanese embassy or the Taiwanese consulate didn't give enough assistance to Taiwanese, so the Chinese embassy had to do so. And as far as I'm aware, that didn't happen. Now, if that was fake news being spread by DPP trolls, then why would they do that? Because that just makes Frank Xie look bad. So then in order to clean up the mess, they have to throw Sue under the bus. But if they'd never spread the fake news in the first place, there would have been no need to throw anybody under the bus. Do you see what I'm saying? Um, it's similar to, for example, then, I guess, Han claiming that the DPP is using big data against yeah. it. Again, it's a claim that the DPP is using the shadowy, dark internet as a mm. way in order to benefit itself. Um, it's interesting, actually, that one of the, the uh, politicians that was involved in this press conference was not KMT. It was a new party. It was Ho Hanting, mm. who was actually one of the people accused of running a, a news site that was part of efforts to create a Chinese spying ring, or even some claim a paramilitary organization in Taiwan. And he was previously uh, questioned by the authorities because of his connection to this. The claim was that uh, he was being paid by China and that whenever this website would get likes on Facebook, they would be paid per like. And however other people like their Facebook page, they would get money from it. And it's, it's actually kind of a, it looked like a disastrously run operation. But he has always insisted then that it's the DPP making up these accusations against him, carrying out a green terror, uh, politically persecuting dissidents. And so he's, he's on board with this. I mean, it's again just as uh, the other side is doing what you were accused of and just trying to uh, make these accusations stick. But actually, it's, it's a question too. It actually, this, uh, it is actually true that political parties do pay, for example, uh, operatives to run Facebook pages to disseminate political propaganda and so forth. And so it is, it is a question actually then what is the truth behind this, this issue, um, with this, this case? The control run issued a report in, I believe, March, in which Slow Yang's name came up. And so there, there are some questions here. Um, but then, again, it's just the KMT being hypocritical, I think, just reversing uh, the claims against it and making it stick to the DPP. Yeah. Quite a lot of money was involved, Jenna. Like, one person, mm-hmm. apparently, this Slow Yang was receiving lots of money from lots of people, if you believe the allegations. And the local newspapers today, I believe it was the China Times, ran a front-page story today that said Slow Yang had received, like, 200,000 NT from one person a month alone. Hmm. This is just silly money. 
It is it is quite a lot of money. I just I don't really see how this can necessarily be pinned or proven on the DPP. Um, who is sending her money? I have no idea. Is she actually receiving this money or is this an accusation? I genuinely don't know. Um, I do know, as Brian has said, that whenever we look at these sort of like fake news or online troll campaigns, we can always find evidence of the KMT certainly doing this, including advertisements that people have taken screenshots of or taken pictures of, of seminars that people associated with the KMT have held, you know, saying, here's how you can be an internet troll or how, here's how you can go online and, you know, talk smack against the DPP. So for then the KMT to turn around and say, this one person is doing this one thing, sure, I certainly want to hear the truth about that, but... I don't know. I don't know that there's really that much more to say. Guess what goes around comes yeah. around is the phrase you were looking for there. Anyway, mm. the Ministry of Foreign Affairs on Tuesday of this week announced that it conveyed its dissatisfaction to the Thai government concerning Thailand's issuing of new visa application rules for Taiwan passport holders seeking to visit in the country. Now, the new regulations would have stipulated that applicants provide bank details for at least three months as proof they could cover their travel expenses if they visit Thailand as a tourist. Now, however, the Thailand Trade and Economic Office says it now plans to delay the changes until next March at the earliest. So, Brian, of course, Taiwan, Thai nationals can come to Taiwan visa-free. The Thai government seems to put up a bit of a barrier for Taiwan nationals going to Thailand visa-free there. And, of course, one KMT lawmaker by the name of Apollo Chen, who's actually a nice bloke because I met him many years ago, is describing the Thai requirement as being tantamount to treating Taiwan like a third-world country while the other opposition lawmakers have been bandying around the word reciprocity. Um, that's right. And so usually visa reciprocity is something that countries demand of each other, that the visa policies for people visiting one country are the same as to the other country. And so that's a question here. Uh, Thailand is one of the countries that the Thai administration is targeting as part of the new southbound policy intended to reduce dependency on China and build stronger ties with Southeast Asian countries. Um, in this case, though, it's actually kind of a question to me why this policy is being imposed now. The Thai government claims that it eventually intends to roll out this policy also towards the UK and towards China. But there's also the perception that this could be because of the strong political ties developing between uh, the Thai government and the Chinese government in terms of the economy and the military and so forth. This could be a low-key way to hit at Taiwan. However, that's also unclear. It could also just be because of tourism and because uh, Taiwanese tourists are uh, visiting Thailand in large numbers and they are uh, they have large spending power. And so this may be a way to get more money out of Taiwanese tourists. It could just be a badly thought-out strategy to do that. Um, I don't know how such a strategy would work. Um, if, if it is a strategy, I would completely agree. It's very, very badly thought out, because if anything, it's going to decrease Taiwanese tourism to Thailand. What's interesting to me about this is that the visa rules for how Taiwanese can go to Thailand are a little bit confusing already. So if you look at the Thai embassy's actual visa information, Taiwanese didn't really need to get a visa before going to Thailand before. They were el eligible, as with many countries, for a visa on arrival. Other sources, including the Taiwanese news when reporting this, have said no they need to go to the consulate in advance. Um, I'm more willing to believe the Thai embassy information. So for them to go for from a visa for a visit of 15 days 
is something you can get on arrival. So for them to go from that to you have to make an appointment online with proof of your financial information and then go in person to a Thai consulate in Taiwan to get a visa just to take a holiday in Thailand, to me that just doesn't make sense as any kind of tourism strategy. It really does actually make Taiwan look like a third world country because if you look at countries which do get visa on arrival, China is one of them. Countries like Ethiopia and Fiji are others. Whereas Western countries, countries that are more in line with Taiwan's uh, development index, their GDP, their PPP, whatever, they either have visa exemptions such as the U.S. or again visa on arrival. To me, looking at how this is all playing out, we can already see in like South China Morning Post the other day, there are now Taiwanese travel agents who are. Angry about this and making this accusation that oh the reason is because of worse, you know, really a worsening relationship with China and Thailand is now doing this and trying to sort of pin it on Thai and the DPP saying their relationship with China and then pivoting to the new southbound policy is allowing us to be super nice to Thailand when they're not all that nice to us. So to me, that sort of reeks of a Chinese-backed strategy to hurt Taiwan and to make the DPP look bad in the media in a very indirect way. And we have to take a short break now, but we'll be right back after these rather important commercials. Welcome back to Taiwan this week, and the saga of the status of food delivery service providers. Delivery staff continued this week, with the Ministry of Labour saying that the companies will soon be required to ensure their couriers to provide them with coverage when they are delivering food to customers. Now, the new regulations mean that food delivery service providers will have to buy both personal insurance and non-life insurance for their drivers. And if you're interested in the amount this is going to cost, well, the maximum compensation for death or disability caused to a driver by an accident at work will be three. Million NT, while injured drivers will be paid 1,000 NT per day of hospital stay and doctor consultations of 300 NT per visit. Now, food delivery service providers will also have to buy non-life insurance policies for their couriers with compensation of up to 4 million NT. Now, all five major food delivery service operators here in Taiwan will have to equip their couriers with protective devices such as light reflecting vests or light reflecting stickers. In, and in cold weather, they must equip their drivers with warm coats, masks, and scarves. Now, the new regulations, however, are not binding, but the government has said they expect to take effect by the uh, early next year. They're bandying around the words "early next year" for these rules to take effect. So, Brian, non-binding rules to help motorcyclists not get killed, and if they are killed, their family will get money. If they're injured, they'll also get a bit of money. And this is one of the strange things I think about the debate around delivery food services, uh, which is tied to, for example, the gig economy and the sharing economy and all these different uh, services you see, such as Uber, which now operate through the internet, and a lot of the workers are actually contractors; they're not formal employees. Um, so the question then is that many of these employees, or which are technically contractors, lack insurance and so forth, and they don't have adequate uh, safety measures because this is not being provided to them by the company. And this is a cost-saving measure; you can see that. Uh, however, uh, then. 
uh, it's actually kind of strange, though, actually. The debate in Taiwan then said, okay, well, then the, 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 a lot of it actually in the beginning initially was around this insurance issue that these delivery food drivers who were hit by cars and died and so forth did not have insurance and did not pay their families. And then eventually there's discussion of safety equipment and how uh, there's lacking safety equipment. But this is not, I think there's been a lacking discussion of how workers are made to take on ex- excessive orders within a short amount of time. And this is actually what leads to accidents, that there's this attempt to, again, just cut costs and, and just increase efficiency. And this is ultimately at human, uh, the cost of, the, of safety. And uh, eventually it does have a human cost in terms of lives that are lost because of accidents. And so I think uh, there's still a question about this. I mean, just, will the companies follow this? I think they'll try to avoid it. And even then, I think there could be more measures done. But Jenna, I mean, the companies have to pay these these insurance policies for their couriers, not because they're not employees, they're couriers. Do you think these companies could look at this and go, oh, well, okay, we've got 500 couriers at the moment, we've got to pay their insurance, maybe we only need 100 couriers? Perhaps. Um, now, one thing I actually kind of appreciate about the direction Taiwan is moving in is it's it's almost a cliche, again, to say that it's a country of convenience. Everything's convenient, 24 hours, food delivery. But, you know, the government and to some extent people are sort of pushing back and saying, well, we also need to treat our workers right. And that movement has been gaining momentum from Taiwan being a country that has typically not had a lot of worker protections Um, It's very capitalist in that way to being one that says maybe we don't want to go down the road of the U.S. or other countries where, for example, Uber drivers were not given anything by the company in terms of insurance or um, even just uh, car insurance or whatever. So... Yes, maybe, but we do need to draw this line between convenience and, you know, ability to get what you want when you want it and treating our workers well. And if that means that there's some break in service, you have to wait longer for your food or whatever, I don't necessarily see what's wrong with that. Go out to a restaurant. That would go, be my policy. You've got to wait for your food. Go to a restaurant. There, there are, sorry. It's, it's, a, it's a good idea for you. And Brian, do you think, do you think these companies could balk at hiring people? I think so. I think, I think that's definitely the case. I think that uh, many companies in Taiwan just are actually afraid of hiring new workers because they don't want to pay new insurance, uh, more insurance. And therefore, uh, they overwork the existing workers. And that's one of these issues. I mean, I think it is, again, that's totally true that uh, the convenience Taiwan is built off of the, the work of workers who have very few uh, um, just benefits. For example, convenience store workers are, are a great example. They're made to work around the clock, and they uh, it's long hours, and they have to do so many different tasks. And delivery workers are another example. And so this is this is the price people pay for convenience. But I think consumers, oftentimes, that's what they think of. Again, it's a, there are so many cases, for example, of just uh, people in line groups bragging about how much they can make their domestic workers work. And so I think just even for Taiwanese workers is also, too, an issue. And Jenna, Brian brought up something earlier. He said they have to do more deliveries. But surely... As they're not employees, they mm. don't have to do anything. I mean, they can take a smoke mm. break whenever they want. They can uh, op- op- say, oh, I'm not delivering that, it's too far away. So there doesn't seem to be anything have to about being an Uber or a, a food panda delivery person. I would say that that's true in some places, but Taiwan does have a unique and I'm going to go ahead and say problematic work culture in that a lot of things are not required and yet you're sort of forced to do them. Just like, you know, in an office, workers are not, they don't have to do overtime, but they know perfectly well that their boss expects them to do it. So I do kind of expect these bosses, you know, bosses of these kinds of companies having something of a bad reputation in Taiwan and any worker you 
you buy a few drinks for is going to go ahead and start complaining to you about it of saying, yeah, you don't have to do that. But if you want to keep your job with us, maybe that part is unspoken. You will do it. Um, on the other hand, being a delivery driver is a more dangerous occupation than even working in a convenience store. Traffic in Taiwan is more orderly than in other parts of Asia, but accidents are frequent. The requirements for getting a license are not high, and therefore you do see a lot of these sorts of injuries. I think it's quite fair that the company should be paying for insurance, reflective vests, and that sort of things. These are like basic workplace items that you need or things that you need in order to do your job effectively. If you work for TSMC, they're not going to make you pay for your jumpsuit to go work in the fab. If you work for Uber Eats, they shouldn't make you to pay for your own reflective vest so you can be safe on the road. Right, we'll jump away from that and talk about Prague, that lovely city in the Czech Republic, because the mayor of Prague announced this week that he'll soon be signing an agreement with Taipei Mayor Kerwin to forge sisterhood ties between the two cities. Now, according to the mayor, whose name I'm going to butcher, but I've got Zdenek Harib, the agreement will be signed with Kerr when he visits the Czech Republic next month. Now, the move comes, of course, after Prague terminated its sister city agreement with Beijing amid a dispute over the removal of China's one China policy clause from that agreement. So there you go, Brian. Taipei signs sisterhood ties with Prague because Prague doesn't adhere to the one China policy. That's an interesting story, actually. I think that many in Taiwan would see this as an example of a Western country becoming alert to the threat of China. And it is true the Czech Republic is actually sensitive to the issue of China. Um, however, it's interesting, too, because this is probably more a product of domestic politics within the Czech Republic. Uh, the mayor of Prague whose name I also would butcher Harib. Harib anyway, I Harib, but I don't know. <laughs> yes, anyway. <laughs> he is a member of the Pirate Party, um, and he is actually opposed to the current, uh, pre- the, the current president of the Czech Republic, uh, whose name is Milo Zenk, if I'm also not butchering that. And he is more pro-China. And so this is actually a product of domestic uh, politics in the Czech Republic. And what's interesting, too, and further ironic, is that then he is trying to sign a sister agreement with Taipei, which is currently governed by Koenja, who has conducted numerous city-based exchanges with China that are controversial and is uh, oftentimes criticizing the DPP and has reoriented towards the Pan Blue camp. And so he is doing this, the mayor of Prague is doing this as a way to criticize um, the domestic government of, of, of the Czech Republic. And it's actually ironic then that he is siding with a kind of pro-China mayor to do so. Um, it's, it's a kind of, there are many layers to the story, but it's still quite interesting. Of course, Jenna, there is confusion about this in the Taipei city government because the Taipei city council and the city government have been at odds for about a month now over whether the word Taiwan should appear in the agreement anyway. Yeah, when I mentioned before, the KMT has this tendency to lean on the ROC, ooh, the Republic of China, Zhonghua Mingguo, whenever they want to make, you know, keep their unificationist credentials. Um, then when they want to sort of like drum up popular sentiment, they turn to calling it Taiwan, right? So that same mayor, Ko Wenzhou, who is a pro-China mayor, despite his previous seemingly green leanings, when he was at a rally the other day, the one where Guo Taiming said uh, independent supporters are garbage, he then, Ko Wenzhou, said, you know, um, give Taiwan a chance, so we've got this blue guy using green rhetoric, now signing the sister city agreement, and then the KMT sort of pushing back and saying, oh, it should be the Republic of China. I feel like the KMT at this point is just sort of trying to be contrarian and 
every time someone or there are baby steps towards normalizing the name Taiwan, normalizing considering Taiwan a country, which it is, the KMT feels like it has to be contrarian about that and bring back that old ROC, you know, patriotism. Um, but then you can be sure the second they get criticized for that or the second they feel that that's not popular, they're going to start calling it Taiwan themselves. It's very two-faced. Right, Brian, you brought up something earlier. Do you think tai- Taipei is going to get caught in the middle of something between Beijing and the Czech Republic? Because, of course, Prague could sign the agreement with Taipei in January. And in, in the next six months, the Czech Republic go, no, you've got to rip that up and you've got to sign another one. Or Prague government could say that. It'd be ironic, and also I'm interested in what direction Coenter takes because of the, if, for example, the Chinese government reacts against this and, for example, threatens to jeopardize the future of, of city-based uh, cross-strait exchanges between Taipei and Shanghai if he goes ahead with this. That's a question. And Co is trying to maintain a balancing uh, act between the Pan Blue and Pan Green camps. And so when we do have uh, Pan Blue politicians from the KMT demanding that uh, Taiwan not be mentioned or that the ROC is what is emphasized instead and claiming that Ke is not going along with us, he also has to figure out what steps to take there. And so I think this will be an interesting story going forward. And it'll be further, again, it's, it's, it's interesting that Taiwan is being used as a wedge issue here by the mayor of Prague against in, in domestic politics in the Czech Republic. And so I think that this is a story that could go in many, many directions. But it could be good for the Prague Zoo, of course, because apparently the Taipei Zoo is going to gift the Prague Zoo a pangolian when the agreement is signed. So there you go. Prague Zoo will have a lonely pangolian. <laughs> That's maybe a good thing. It's a bit, one's a bit sad, isn't it, really? Send it to the Czech Republic. Mm, go to the I'll Czech Republic. You. There we go. On an airplane, go to the Czech Republic. Well, they don't speak Mandarin there? No. Anyway, before we go this week, the Chinese Cultural University in Taipei this week announced that it's developed a rainbow forecasting system for the city's Yangminshan area. Now, the rainbow weather index is geared towards tourists, meteorologists and photographers. And the university's Department of Atmospheric Science says it gives users directions for rainbow watching. Now, according to the department, inspiration for the system came after students at the university documented a rainbow in Yangminshan that lasted almost nine hours in 2017. That rainbow was recognised by the Guinness World Records the following year as the longest rainbow ever recorded. So, Jenna, if you could download an app onto your mobile device, would you be downloading the Rainbow Weather Index app so you could pop up to Yangminshan in Taipei and go look at a rainbow? And maybe, maybe maybe find a pot of gold at the end with a leprechaun. Uh, I would take the pot of gold for sure. Um, would I be downloading that app? If I were going up to Yangmingshan for the day, I actually might. Um, day to day, I think it's a really sweet, cute, lovely thing to do. It'll be interesting for hikers and photographers. Um, is it going to change the course of Taiwan? Absolutely not. Um, I will say that a rainbow prediction system is going to be more accurate than anybody trying to predict what's going to happen with China. So, well, I think I'll attract a lot of the people that go to scenic sites in Taiwan to take photogra- uh, photographs. I mean, and selfies and so forth. There are plenty of people that do that for Instagram. So I think that this might actually there might be people that use this. Would you be using it? Probably not. I'm not too outdoors. <laughs> you not into rainbows? No, not not too much. Not, not dub- to, not what about double days. rainbow? Double rainbows, uh, not too much either. No, I'd rather well, stay inside. Here we go. <laughs> anyway, that's where we'll leave it here this week, here on Taiwan This Week. And I've been joined in the studio today by Brian Hugh. Good night. And Jenna Cody. Thanks so much. Thanks for tuning in to this week's edition of Taiwan This Week here on ICRT with me, Gavin Phipps. And don't forget to check out Taiwan This Week podcasts on iTunes and Android podcast apps where you can get access to all our previous shows. 
Tune in again next Friday evening at 9 for another informative look at the top stories of the week with Taiwan This Week. And don't forget to also check out our podcast on our website, icrt.com.tw. Now keep it here for more music and news only on ICRT FM 100.